Merry Christmas. Um, my name is Will Bushman, and I am one of the student directors here at Rio. Um, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year, this week right after Christmas, this week that we're going to close out 2020 finally. Um, it seems like it's been a lot longer than usual. Um, and this week that we come to the first week of Christmas, because right, Christmas is not just a day on the church calendar, but it's this season that we get to sit, that we get to rest, that Jesus has come. And during this Advent series, we've been focused on this fact that we have a God of breakthrough. That we have a God who breaks through into real space, into real time, into our real world, and into our real lives. And that's the story of Christmas. This message that we celebrate that Jesus left heaven and came down to earth 2,000 years ago for each and every one of us. He broke through into our lives. And this morning we continue the Christmas narrative. Right, the birth of Jesus, the narrative that Luke lays out, starts in chapter 2, and we're going to pick up right after that. Um, so if you have your Bible, or it will be on the screen. Um, we start with Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and this is what it says. When the time came, which this would have been 40 days after the birth of Jesus, for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written, the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And Luke starts us off, and he comes to this story where Mary and Joseph, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, they make their way to Jerusalem. They make their way to the temple. They're here to present Jesus to the Lord. They're here to put a sacrifice in his name and for Mary's purification. And this seems like a minor detail, right? Because the scripture, we just get certain glimpses into the life of Jesus. And this is one of the glimpses that God gives us. And the purpose is this. It's the fact that Jesus came to this earth to abide by the law. And the very first actions that Mary and Joseph take on Jesus' behalf are exactly that. Even while he's a baby, this Savior has come to live a life that you and I could not live, to live a life that the Jews at that time could not live. And one of those things is that he must abide by the law. Jesus himself comes to us in his adult life, and, and he says, I came not to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And we see Mary and Joseph doing exactly that. And verse 25 continues the story as we meet our main character, Simeon. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we meet this man, Simeon. And just like the rest of the Christmas story, we see that God is using unlikely people, unknown people, to fulfill his purposes. We saw the shepherds in the birth narrative, but now we see Simeon. And Simeon's this man who's going to testify to who Jesus is. He's the very first public witness on this earth that sees this child. And he says, this is actually the one we've been waiting for. He's the first public witness that this baby really is Jesus. And for Simeon, we, we don't see this long list of accomplishments, We don't see how successful he is. We don't see his bank account or his political status or his cultural status or all those things that we expect to see in the story of Jesus. But instead we see something far more beautiful. We see the author Luke describe Simeon's character. And it's not just Luke describing his character, but it's God looking down on Simeon and telling us what kind of man he is. He loves the Lord. He's been waiting for this Savior for the longest time. He's a man of great character. He's devout. He's longing for Jesus to come, and it's finally here. The culmination of his whole life will take place in a moment. But it's a beautiful picture of how God uses his people who wait for him, who wait for him in hope through Simeon. 
And verse 26 continues. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And think about this for a second. God has ordained all of Simeon's life around this moment. God had given him the spirit early on in his life to have this deep longing for the Messiah to come. And you have to think, over the many years that he waited, he had to think, hey, this is just not going to happen, God. I'm just not going to be able to see the Lord. And you have to believe that God sustained him in that hope. And now we see Simeon. He's advanced in years, which is a polite way to say old from a stage. And he's been waiting the longest time for this moment. And the Holy Spirit comes to him and he gives him this beautiful promise. Hey, Simeon, the Jesus that you've waited for, not only is he here, but because of what I'm going to do through you, you are going to get the chance to see him with your own eyes. And it's a beautiful work of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes that promise come true. And, and just think about the actual reality of this situation. Jerusalem, a major city. The temple, a major place in that city, a place of commerce, a place where everything went down. We have Simeon, this man, looking for a couple and a child. He's never seen them. He's never recognized them. What are the odds that he goes on the exact time, the exact day that Mary and Joseph are there? But the Holy Spirit is working this match, this wonderful movement of the Spirit for God's ordained purposes. And verse 27 says, And he, being Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Finally, the thing Simeon has been waiting for his whole life. He receives this baby into his arms. And you just imagine the, the emotion just the pure joy that he would have had, that his longing has been fulfilled, that the baby he now holds is what not just he's been waiting for, but all of Israel has waited for. And it's just amazing. The peace he must have felt must have been overwhelming. And I can just imagine, Simeon, and, and this is just me imagining this in this story, that Simeon understood the reality of this situation, that he understood the gravity of what it was about. That this little baby he was holding in his arms, this savior that he got to hold for a few minutes at most, I think he understood that that savior is going to hold him forever. That he's just holding the savior now, but that savior will hold him in his arms for all of eternity. And Simeon, all he can do is break out into praise, and we come to verse 28, and it says this. And Simeon blessed God and said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And Simon testifies that this is the real child, that this is the child that they have been waiting for. This is the child that has been sent for the salvation of all people, that the Gentiles would now be grafted in to Jesus' family. That all hope, that all longings find their place in this. And he understands that a new era has begun. Think he says, now. He knows that something has changed, that something is different because this child has entered into it. That this child was born to bring peace and salvation to all peoples. And this is the message of Christmas. Right? A Christ child who has come to earth to bring peace and salvation. That we have a God who breaks through into real space, into real time, into our real world, and into our real lives. He breaks through to bring us peace. 
And speaking of Joseph and Mary, it says this, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And that's all that Mary and Joseph could do in that moment. That the Holy Spirit working through him, Simeon testifies to who this child is. And we have to understand that Mary and Joseph are his parents. They've been caring for this child for 40 days. But they're too astounded that this baby is not any ordinary baby, that he is the Christ child. That even in their own lives, Mary and Joseph, every hope they had finds their longing in this child. Every piece of satisfaction they can get in their life rests on this child. Their salvation, their peace is found in this child. And it's the beauty of Christmas. And Simeon's going to continue. And I just want to do a quick preface to what we're about to hear. Because what Simeon continues in the Christmas story, and it's a part of the Christmas message, but it's a part that we don't necessarily always love. It's a part that's going to come to us, and it's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Right? It's a part that we don't get when we look at a Christmas tree or the manger scene, but it's a part that is absolutely necessary to the message of Christmas. In verse 34, Simeon continues, and he says this, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for. And you expect Simeon in this moment, as the Christmas message is continuing, to just reiterate what we know about Jesus. That he's come to bring peace, that he's come to give salvation to the Gentiles, that he's for the glory of all of Israel. And all of that will come to pass. All of that is absolutely true. But this is actually what Simeon says. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And this is the sobering part of the Christmas message. This is the uncomfortable part of the doctrine of Christmas. Simeon comes to us and says, there's a combativeness to the Christmas story. That there's something that happens when God who created all things, that sees all things, that knows all things, comes to earth. And we understand that Jesus comes as this meek and mild baby in the manger. We also have to remember that he is fully God. And when God comes to earth, when he takes his first steps on this earth, what is he doing? He came to earth to stake out his claim. Jesus on this earth comes to us and he says, everything on this earth, every physical thing, every spiritual thing, every mental thing is mine. He comes and says, everything that has breath, that has life, I've come to call it to me. And what's clear with that is that Jesus comes to divide. When Jesus enters into this earth, he comes to bring conflict. And I know you're thinking... Wait, wait. We, we just talked about the message of Christmas was peace. We just talked about the message of Christmas was salvation. Everything that I think about Christmas, everything I hear about Christmas, talks about peace and peace only. And that's true. The, the Christmas story is one of Christ coming to earth to bring peace. But the question for us this morning is, how does he bring that peace? How does Jesus come to earth for the salvation of all people, come to us with that peace? And Simeon shows us this. That this Jesus is appointed. He's destined to divide people. Some will rise, some will fall. 
He's appointed. He's destined to be a sign that is opposed by many people. He's appointed. He's destined to pierce our hearts with a sword so that all of them are revealed in his eyes. And we understand this whole idea of peace through conflict. It doesn't always make much sense when we talk about it in the terms of Jesus, but on this earth we understand that oftentimes the peace we have in our lives comes through conflict. Think about a surgeon's job. A surgeon comes to your unhealthy body and and he causes conflict to enter in. He must wound you, he must make you bleed in order for your body to find healing, in order for your body to find peace. Think about one of the biggest days in all of history in the world. Think about VE Day in 1945. Think about that day that victory in Europe was established after World War II. How did that peace come to the whole world? It came through D-Day. It came through hundreds of other conflicts so that peace could ensue. Peace could not happen without those conflicts. And this is what the text is telling us. That at Christmas, Jesus came to bring peace. And he brings peace through conflict. And we're going to look at two ways that Jesus brings conflict into our lives. The first is that Jesus comes at Christmas to divide people. He comes to cause conflict between people. And we see Simeon state this. He says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And that word appointed is important. Right? It's not just saying the way Jesus lived, the effects of his life was that people were divided. No, it's saying that Jesus came to divide. That one of his missions on earth was divide, to divide people. He's a polarizing person in history. So we ask, how does Jesus cause the rising and the falling of so many on this earth? If everyone's going to be divided in these two groups, how does Jesus do that? And for that, we have to look at his life. Because Jesus comes to this earth, and throughout his life, he makes radical claims about who he is. He makes radical claims about who he is, and he lives the life on this planet. So think about it. 30 years old, Jesus begins his ministry. And throughout that ministry, he's publicly making claims about who he is. And, And think about just this one. In John 14, he comes to the people and he says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Think about that claim that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying, this man standing in front of you, the man I am, is actually God. That in order for you to get to the Father, in order for you to get to my Father, there's no other way but going through me. He's saying that every time you wanted to see the Father, look at who I am and you will see the Father. He's saying that your eventual eternity, your route on judgment day, is based off of what you believe about who he is. Right? That's a radical claim, especially to those people back then. 2,000 years, we've had a lot of people talk about Jesus. We've had a lot of discussions about Jesus. But imagine hearing that from his lips for the first time. It would have been divisive. Think about if you were a religious Jew at the time. The religious Jews at the time would hear that with their ears and they would go, that man's a liar. 
There's no way that he is God. Who is he to say that he is God the Father, that I can see the Father through him? They're saying the way I get to the Father is through the temple. The way I get to the Father is through the sacrificial system. Who is this man in the flesh that's saying, I'm going to wipe all of that out, and the way now you get to the Father is through him? Who would have the audacity to make those claims about himself? And many of them would have concluded that he's just a liar. Think about the non-religious people at the time who would have heard the claims of Jesus. They might not have thought he was a liar, but they would have definitely thought this guy was a lunatic. They would have been like, who is this guy in front of me that claims that he is God in the flesh? Why would God come to a man like him, this peasant born in Bethlehem, this man who has no, you know, no acclaim in our city? Why would he choose him? Why would he come as him? Much less that, even if he really was God, why would God care about it at all about my life? Why is my life so significant to this God? And those people would have just claimed, man, this guy's a lunatic. We don't have to worry about him. But one thing's true when Jesus spoke and he, and he claimed things about himself on this earth. It was that he offended everybody in, in the crowd. Or he didn't just offend them, but for many people were repulsed by his claims. Many people heard what he said and they said, no, he is not God. He is not the man I'm going to follow. And they would walk away. And we understand this and we see this unfold throughout the life of Jesus. Jesus went around for three years making these claims, doing wonderful miracles. But who's following him at the end? Right, this very small ragtag band of disciples that, that, that they themselves were confused at his crucifixion. Most people who heard the claims walked away. And their laugh, lack of belief in his claims would eventually cause them to be the group that falls. So the question is this. If that's why people fall then why does anyone rise? If Jesus made those claims, if he was offensive, if he was polarizing, why would anyone want to follow a man like that? Because Jesus is the only person who could make those claims. Right? Jesus is the only person who could make those claims and also have a life that substantiated those claims. Right? He's the only person and, and the only person that will ever walk on this earth who is so full of grace, who is so full of humility, who was so gentle, who was so loving, who was so tender, who was so kind, who was so compassionate, who was so wise, that when he made claims like that, his life backed them up. Right? You may know a lot of humble people. Right? We all do. But could you imagine that humble person making a claim like Jesus did? That would be impossible in that person's life. No one who is that humble could make such a claim. And we also know people who make a lot of claims about themselves. Right? But no one who makes a claim like Jesus could possibly have the humility that Jesus had. And this is why people chose to follow him. His radical claims matched an attractive, beautiful life. And many people saw both of those things come together. And they said, man, he really is who he says he is. And so many of them would rise. Jesus would be the cause for their rising. So Simeon is saying that Jesus comes to bring conflict. He comes to divide people. And Simeon gives us two options for that division. Group one, the group that's going to rise, and group two, the groups that's going to fall, all based about what they believe about Jesus. But if you look around in our city, in our families, 
We don't see many people rising and we don't see many people falling. In fact, it seems like we've made this third group here in America. It's this group that's just neutral about Jesus. It's this group that's just moderate about who Jesus is. Right? They know him, they heard him, but they're, they're not upset with him, but they're not going to follow him with their whole lives. And I think the best illustration in Jesus' life of this is when Jesus comes into contact with the rich young ruler. Right? It's this narrative when this man comes up to Jesus. And he comes up to him and he says, Jesus, I followed all the laws. I know the Ten Commandments. I've kept them all. I know what you said. I know what your scripture says. So what now do I do? And Jesus looks at him and he understands his heart. And he knows that this man is rich. He knows that he's wealthy beyond comparison. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's great that you know all that. But now take all that you have and give it away. And this rich young ruler is met with this opportunity. Do I see Jesus' claims? Do I see the beauty of his life? And will I follow him or will I walk away? And in that moment, that man walks away with his head laid low. And right, this third group's just, just constant in our lives. It's this moderate group. It's this neutral group. It's this group that sees Jesus, and when he claims that he's the bread of life, they're like, I want that bread of life. I want to be satisfied. I never want to thirst again. Jesus, I want what you have but you definitely can't have my finances. Right? I want what you have, but you cannot take this one part of who I am. And then they see Jesus when he comes and says, I'm the light of the world. They're like, Jesus, we need that. This world is dark. We need you to break into time and space, and we need your light to light up this earth. I need it in my life. I want that part of Jesus. But Jesus, you have no say in who I sleep with. They see Jesus. It's a cafeteria Jesus. They take what they want of Jesus and they leave behind what they do not want. So Simeon and Jesus come to us and they say that there's two groups, but in our world we see three different kind of groups. What's the answer to this third group, that this neutral group, this group that's apathetic more than atheistic? Well, the truth is they don't know the real Jesus. They have not come into contact with the real story of Christmas. They've created Jesus who's more palatable. They've created a Jesus that's more about what they want than who he is. But this Jesus doesn't exist. The Jesus that comes to us in Scripture says at Christmas time, I've come to bring peace, and that peace I am bringing through conflict. And today, right now, just like Jesus always does, he's saying to you and I, Either you love me and you will make me the supreme thing in your life or you hate me, you despise me. Those are the only two options at Christmas. And so Jesus came to bring peace through conflict and we see that he divides between people. But we also see this in the words of Simeon. We say that Jesus comes at Christmas time to bring peace and he comes to bring conflict within people. He comes to bring conflict in individual hearts. Simeon says this, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And Simeon here is speaking directly to Mary. Right? Joseph would have been standing there. Jesus would have been a baby there, obviously. But it's interesting that he speaks directly to Mary. 
Because what we know about Joseph is that we don't see him at the end of Jesus' life, so we believe that he died early. So what Simeon is predicting is this, that Mary's life will be full of pain. And that pain, although it's purposeful, will still be painful. And I think in this part of the story, Mary represents all of us who come to faith in Jesus, all of us who believe in Jesus, the group that Jesus causes to rise. Because this is the truth that we see in Scripture. Even though Mary is the mother of Jesus, she birthed him, she raises him, Mary still has to come to know Jesus as her Savior. She doesn't get a hall pass from believing who he is just because she birthed him. She has to come to real faith, real knowledge in him, just like the rest of us do. And this is what happens when we come to a real faith in Jesus. When we come to know him as Savior, a sword pierces our heart. It pierces our soul. And it's a sword of repentance. Jesus came to earth and he came preaching a message that says, repent and believe. And the idea of repentance is this. It's the fact that we're all walking on a path. We're all living a life. And repentance says this. That for a time that we walk down the path of sin, and that path leads to death and destruction in the end. But repentance is a turning from that path and heading the other way. Heading back to a faith in Jesus, heading back to a path that leads to Jesus. Right, And we all have to do this. Because the Bible all throughout speaks very frankly about human nature. Right, The Bible comes to us and says, You understand that some of your actions are sinful. You understand that that some of the ways you act, some of the ways you speak, some of the ways you think, that they're wrong. They're they're substantially wrong. But the problem's bigger than that. It's not just that we do bad things. But the problem starts with, with our heart. It's that our heart is sinful above all else. That we are born into this world, into sin. That our human nature is marred by sin in every way. Every little piece of us has sin in it, right? And it's a piercing truth when we realize that. It's painful that when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, that it's just not, oh, sin's out there. No, the painful part is when you realize that sin is also in here. It's a sword that pierces our heart. And the real kicker when it comes to repentance is this. Is that sinful heart? You can't do anything about it on your own. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how hard you try. The fact is that you need a third party to enter into your life, to break through into real time and into real space, into our real world and into our real lives to make a difference. And that third party is Jesus. And it's a sword that pierces our soul when we come to belief in him. But Simeon is saying that we have to undergo things in order to find that peace. But that's not where repentance stops. Maybe the truer thing is that repentance is a daily act. Repentance in the daily walk of the Christian life is more like a surgeon slowly cutting aspects of our heart that are sinful. And Jesus comes to us as that. It's a daily conflict where our souls have to say, am I willing to die and follow Christ or am I going to follow my own way? It's painful. But this is the peace that Jesus brings comes through conflict. And, and, and this is where we're going to end today. But there's one more part where Jesus enters into our lives through the Christmas story 
and that the peace that we get comes with conflict within our individual hearts is this. It's that Jesus comes to us and he asks for obedience. He comes to us and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And we all understand this. That oftentimes being obedient in 2020 in modern day America is going to cause a conflict. In a culture that's not walking with Jesus, in a culture that's not following Jesus, obedience oftentimes means conflict within our hearts. Right? Obedience is going to be a sword that pierces our soul. Because in order to follow Jesus, it often points in our lives when we come to that crossroads of will I walk with Jesus or will I follow the ways of the world, obedience is going to be painful. It could cause us to lose money. Right? It could cause us to lose a friendship. It could cause a breakup between our boyfriend or our girlfriend. But it can cause pain in our lives. It's a conflict within our hearts. Because with obedience, conflict ensues. Because it's going against our very natures. It's saying that, God, you are the king of my heart, and I'm going to follow after you no matter what else happens in this life. It's saying that no longer am I the king on the throne of my own life, but that the conflict enters in and I am going to follow you. One path brings real peace, but it also brings conflict. So again, we see Simeon. There's this story of this old man testifying to who Jesus is. This man who gives us the Christmas message. He says, this savior has entered into the world to bring you peace. And he's going to bring that peace through conflict. That Jesus breaks through into real space and real time, into this real world and into our real lives to bring peace. But that peace comes with conflict. So just as we end, the truth of the gospel is this, that you don't do any of this alone. That you don't have to walk this journey alone. Think about the life of Simeon. Who was alongside of him the whole way? The Holy Spirit gave him the longing. The Holy Spirit sustained his longing. The Holy Spirit was the one who caused him to end up at the feet of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit walks with you and I today. The Holy Spirit is defined as the helper. He's the comforter. He's here to walk with us in our lives as the God that is present in our everyday walk. So all you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is call out to him. But you're also not alone in the reason that this church exists. We don't want you to walk this path alone. We don't want you to hear this message of Christmas in, in a solitary confinement. But we want to walk with you in this journey. This is why we as a staff exist. This is why our ministries exist. This is why community groups exist. Because we are meant to do this life with each other. We're not meant to do it alone. So reach out. Don't be alone in your seat this morning. And I'm going to end with two questions. After we looked at the story of Simeon, question number one, which group are you in right now? Will Jesus be your rising or your falling? And secondly, from this story, what do you need to repent of today? Where in your life does obedience need to come into conflict with your heart? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in worship. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come thankful just in this season to be able to celebrate differently than any other religion. 
to celebrate that you're a God who breaks through, that you break through into real time, into real space, into our real world, and into our real lives. Lord, as hard as this message is today, that you come to cause conflict, there's nothing more beautiful than walking with you in this conflict. So Lord, I just ask that your spirit would fall on us. Lord, I just ask that your spirit would fall on this place on all of our hearts. Convict us of where we're wrong, Lord, but give us comfort in your word. That you're a God who came to us, who is for us, and who is with us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.